Amen. Anybody here experience the power of God in their lives? Amen. Amen. That's right. Fantastic. Tara, thank you for sharing the story of Addison and Ainsley. Happy birthday, girls. We're excited for you. And uh, one of the things that we're focusing on today are those prayers of thanksgiving and gratitude as we continue to offer our prayers for healing. We want to make sure that we also offer our prayer, praise and prayers of thanksgiving. So on our prayer walls this morning, when you received a card coming in, you'll notice there were two sides this week. One was a side to continue to offer prayers for healing, and the other side was a side to offer praise for healing, to offer your thanksgiving to the Lord. And during our response time, our invitation time, we're going to invite you again to come and to, to fill our prayer walls Someone had remarked, well, that's kind of like what they do in Jerusalem, right? When they leave their prayers along that wailing wall. Well, there's a visual for you, right? And we're asking the church to come and to, to give witness and testimony of the power of God through prayers. And so we would invite you, as the service comes to a conclusion, to, to bring those prayers of, of praise for healing and God's power in your life, and also continue to, to put those prayers for healing and, and where you'd like to see God stir and move in your life as a visual demonstration that God is at work and that we trust in Him and we, we offer our cries and our prayers to Him because He is faithful. So you can, again, as the Lord would stir, even during these moments, to, to complete and to fill that out in preparation, would invite you to do that. This morning, my question for each of you is, what would you do in order to be healed? What would you do? Would you embrace the, the medical and scientific practices of your day? They tell us that in the classical time of, of the Greeks and the Romans, that bloodletting and leeches were the preferred method of dealing with illness. Anything from a sore throat to the plague. They would, they would drain you. They would drain your body of the blood. Their thought and belief was that you had all this bad blood in you, and if we can get rid of the bad blood, then you'll get better. When George Washington became ill, and this is not, this isn't classic Greek in Rome times. This is just uh, several hundred years ago, a couple hundred years ago. George Washington became sick, and he preferred this idea of bloodletting. He thought that was a good way. He felt that he had been healed and cured from bloodletting uh, in, in previous times he'd been sick. The first time they took blood from him that, that day, they took about a half a pint of blood. The fourth time they took blood from him that day, they took 32 ounces of blood. That was the fourth time. Modern research tells us that that's not the best way to fight infection and to bring about healing. But what about trepanation? A medical practice that's been practiced for over 7,000 years. 7,000 years, going back to the early Egyptians in which they would, would cut holes and drill holes into your brain, past your skull, so that the evil spirits could, could get out that were causing you to be sick and, and having the convulsions and the epileptic fits that you would have. Would you submit to that? It's the modern, current practice of the day. What would you do in order to be healed? How about let doctors fill your body full of poison? We call it chemotherapy. I wonder, in a hundred years, 
what we'll look back on and say, wow, can you believe they did that? But for today, that's apparently the best way to get rid of cancers and those kinds of things. What would you do in order to be healed? I want to share a couple of stories with you today. The first comes out of the Old Testament. If you would, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. It's verses 1 through 19. It's the story of Naaman. And we're not going to read this, this passage, but I want to retell the story for you. Naaman was the, the general of the Syrian army. He had, had particularly just found victory over Israel. In fact, Josephus tells, or Josephus believes, that in the story in 1 Kings 22, I believe is the last chapter of 1 Kings, if you want to turn over there, that there was an unnamed soldier whose arrow struck down King Ahab. And it's Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, uh, uh, that couple thousand years ago, that identifies Naaman as this unnamed soldier at the end of 1 Kings. And so when we pick up the story, or we're, when we're introduced to Naaman in 2 Kings 5, he is the general of the Syrian army. Now, the problem with Naaman, we learn very quickly, is that Naaman has leprosy. Leprosy was, at least in scriptural times, Old and New Testament, leprosy was an umbrella term for skin disease. It could mean anything from psoriasis or eczema to uh, what we call today Hansen's disease, which is that, that form of leprosy that, that begins to eat away at the digits of your body and, and, and even parts of your face, your nose, your ears, is that drastic, is that terrible form of leprosy that we would, wouldn't automatically think of. But for us to understand that, that we don't know for sure if, King, if, if Naaman, General Naaman, had that kind of leprosy or, or maybe one of the other kinds of, of psoriasis or some other kind of skin disease. But nevertheless, Naaman was struck with leprosy. And in that particular cult, in the cultures of that day, if you had leprosy, you were unclean and, and there was something wrong with you and there was, there was a separation from the rest of culture that you had to experience... So in addition to just the, the inconvenience, the pain, the hurting of, of normal life, especially as a general of the army, you had to deal with some of the other social stigmas as well. Now, Naaman had had, had this long enough where the implication in the story is that he had begun to lose hope. And yet there was a, 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 probably a teenage Israelite girl that was one of his servants and she remarked to, to one of the other ladies in the household uh, that, wow, wouldn't it be great if Naaman could meet the prophet of Samaria? And she was referring to Elisha. Of course, they had just defeated the, the Israel army uh, several chapters earlier. Well, so Naaman, without hope, he, he gets this piece of hope and this possibility. He goes to the king of Syria and says, I've, I've heard this story that if I can go to Samaria, there's someone who would heal me. The king writes and grants a letter for him to travel. Now, I would imagine with the climate of that time, being the general of the army, that whenever Naaman went into Israel, he went in with Quite a, quite a bit of force behind him. He, he probably went in with his chariots and some of his soldiers as an escort. And they, they find where the king of Israel is and they go into Samaria and they locate him. Now remember, this is Israel as opposed to Judah. This is the northern tribes. And so they find, uh, I believe the king of Israel at that time is Jehoram. 
Jehoram is the king of Israel, and so Naaman finds him. He comes in with this letter of, of, from the king of, of Syria, who's just conquered them, who's a threat to Israel, and says, my, prop, my, my general tells me that you can heal Naaman of leprosy. And they sent gifts to give to the king of Israel. In fact, the scholars who've done the research said they, they sent $1.2 million in gifts is what the value would be today. About enough for one chemo treatment. So they'd sit, they'd sit all these resources, all this wealth, and the king of Israel, the king of Israel responds with great fear. For he feels this is a trap. He feels that the, 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 the Syrians are trying to trap him because he says, am I a god? I can't heal anyone of leprosy. Isn't it fascinating? <laughs> The king of Israel, the one who's supposed to be in the know, is unaware of a prophet named Elisha, is unaware of the power and the miracles that, that God is working through Elisha, and a servant girl in service in another country is aware of the stories of God's work in the life of Israel. The king of Israel, I can't, I can't, I can't help you, I, I can't. I can't heal you. Apparently, Elisha gets word of this encounter. And so Elisha sends for Naaman. And, and Naaman uh, makes his way with his entourage. And he goes to find where, where Elisha is. And they, they get to Elisha's house. And there, King uh, Naaman sends for Elisha. And can you believe Elisha has the audacity not to go out. And not to greet this great, key, this great general of the army of, of Syria. He sends a messenger out and he says, yeah, he said, go, go and tell this general to go and, and, and to dip and to bathe and to cleanse himself in the Jordan River. And Naaman's furious. First of all, he's furious because he felt disrespected. He felt like he was this, this man of great position and, and of power and authority. And for the prophet of Israel, not even to come out and to welcome him, he was offended. And then... To have to go and, and bathe and, and, and to dip and to cleanse yourself in the dirty Jordan River. And he says, we've got incredible rivers in Damascus. <laughs> Clean, spring-fed. In fact, the, uh, at that time, Damascus was considered an oasis in the desert. A beautiful place surrounded by these beautiful freshwater rivers. And Naaman is furious. How dare him not even come and greet me? And how dare him tell me to go and, and bathe in this dirty, nasty river? And thank goodness, one of Naaman's aides comes alongside and he asks Naaman this question. He says, had the prophet told you to go and to do something great, wouldn't you have done that? Isn't he asking him the same question we're asking ourselves today? What would you do in order to be healed? Would you go and, and dip yourself in the Jordan River? And his servant comes and said, If he would have told you to go and do something incredible and miraculous and, and a great feat of strength and of courage, wouldn't you have done it? And now the prophet just says, Go and wash and you'll be clean. I'll never get in that river. Now, if you'll allow me about a 30-second parenthesis, 
I hear the same thing today. I'll never get in that baptismal water. That's for babies. It's not really. It's for believers. And yet we allow a baptistry. We allow a creek, a pool, where we could be immersed, where we could be baptized, to demonstrate, not to be saved, but to, to demonstrate and to reflect what God is doing in our lives. And yet we say, I'll never do that. I'm a grown man. They'll never put me under the water. What would you do to be healed? Would you simply receive God's grace through faith? Repent and be baptized. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you go to the baptismal pool to profess, to give thanks for your spiritual healing? Naaman relented. He listened to his prophet, his, his servant. We've come all this way. Might as well go to the Jordan. And as the scripture tells us, he goes, he bathes, he dips, and he is cleansed. The miracle happens. And the scripture tells us that his skin is restored to that of a young boy. Naaman returned to Elisha. He returned to give thanks and to offer his gifts. And, and, Eli and Elisha refused the gifts. He said, no, I didn't do this for me. I didn't do this to receive your favor. I did this so that you would know that there is a God in heaven and that his name is Yahweh. And Naaman responds and Naaman gives thanks. And he says this in verse 15. I now know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Naaman is healed. And he comes to give thanks. And he understands, he's discovered that the power of his healing, if you'd allow me to say, the power of his salvation was found in the God of Israel, in the God of Israel alone. What's interesting, and as we finish the story, this first half of the story, Naaman says to Elisha, Now, now Elisha, I understand now that, that God, the God of Israel, is the one true God. But you need to understand, as the general of the king of Syria's army, I have to go with him when he worships. I have to go with him when he offers his sacrifices to Ramon, R-I-M-M-O-N, Ramon, the, their, their God, the God of storm. The God of storm who is later identified as Zeus. This all-powerful God. And he says, I have to go with the king and worship with him. And it's fascinating here what Elisha says to him. As you go and worship the God of the storm, as your king forces you, as you're required to do that, Elisha says this, go in peace. What a powerful contrast. You are forced to, to worship this God of the storm. But I tell you, Go in peace, go in shalom, go in healing and wellness. What a contrast to the gods of this world. Now as we move forward and turn with me into the New Testament, into to Luke chapter 17, it's another story of lepers, a story of ten lepers. 
I'll begin in verse 11. When Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem and was passing between Samaria and Galilee, remember Samaria is where this this miracle that that we learn about with Naaman took place. So up in that same region, that northern region of, of, of Israel, as he entered, as Jesus entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And oh, by the way, this guy that was healed was not a Jew, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten that were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God? Were none of God's people there to give thanks and glory to God? No, only this foreigner. And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Again, we we are reminded of the significance of, of leprosy in this day and in this culture. The lepers of Jesus' day, as we mentioned earlier, were considered unclean. And they were banished from the normal course of life and activity. They were banished from their families. They were banished from from work and from, from communicating and just living in and out of the community. Lepers were required to stand at least 50 yards away from people. And oh, by the way, that's downwind. So when the scripture tells us... That Jesus entered a a, a village and there was a group of ten leopards that were at a distance and they yelled at him. We understand. Be like Phil. Hey, Phil! Have mercy on us! We're lepers! Now, you can't get any closer. We're unclean. We're unclean. Can you imagine everywhere you went, if you saw a healthy person, you saw someone, you had to yell out, Unclean! Unclean, don't come near me. Don't come near us. We're unclean. And that's the culture in which this story is told. Now we understand why these lepers would have traveled in in communities together. Because they only had each other. Probably a lot like our our homeless communities feel today. For, for whatever various reasons in their own lives, they, they've, been, they've been forced from their homes. They're not welcomed in their homes. They're not welcomed in mainstream society. And so they're forced to, to band and together and to, to care for one another and protect each other. It's the same story and picture that we have here with the lepers. In fact, someone said this. The curing of a leper would have been the equivalent of raising that person from the dead. That's how how dead they were to to their families and to the rest of society. That the only way to understand their, their healing would be to say, if they were resurrected, and they call out, Jesus, Master, they recognize Jesus' authority. 
have mercy on us. Now Luke tells us in chapter 5 that Jesus has already demonstrated a willingness and desire to heal lepers. He's already healed a leper earlier in this story that Luke is telling us. And he simply says to that leper, he says, be cleansed and go to the priests and make an offering. And so here, as the lepers are, are up where Phil is, he just says, hey, go to the priests. And the story tells us that as they, they turn and as they begin to make their way to the, to the priest, that they realize that they are, they are being, they have been healed. But only one stops. Remember, there, there's a distance. There's only one. And the story tells us that this one, this Samaritan, comes back and he, he, he takes care of that distance and he falls at the feet of Jesus and he begins to offer his thanksgiving to Jesus for the healing that he experienced. This Samaritan leopard, leper, remembers, he stops, he pauses to give thanks. And Jesus looks at him. He says, weren't, weren't there ten? Where are the other nine? Only one had returned. William Barclay says this. He says, in times of bitter need, we pray with intense desperation. We pray with desperate intensity. Have you been there? There's great need. There's bitter need. And we pray desperately. We pray intently. Then time passes and we forget God. God, Lord, have mercy on us. And then when God has mercy on us, we forget to stop and say thank you. We, we call it sometimes our foxhole experience and mentality. God, if you'll just save me from the bombs that are going off around me, if you'll just save me, I'll give you my life. I'll, I'll do whatever. Just save me. I'm desperate. I need you. And then we're saved and we just forget. Is that what happened here with these nine? Jesus looks at this Samaritan leper and he says, Go, stand up, go. Go, for your faith has made you well. I, I, I offered some emphasis while we were reading. I think it's fascinating, and, and I'm not sure quite what it means, but I think it means something. Look at in verse 14 and 17. The words for healing there are, are, is, a, is a unique, it's a word in the Greek that says to make clean. It's used twice in verse 14 and 17. The lepers are made clean. I, I take this and understand this to say that the lepers are made clean ritually. They are now ritually pure. Go to the priests. You've been made clean. Let the priest examine you and declare you clean so that they could return to their families and to their lives. These men were no longer outcasts. They had been healed socially. But look what verse 15 says. Verse 15 is a, is a different word. And it says, you have been healed. And this word in the original language means that you have been healed after being sick. So after having leprosy, now you've been healed. You've been made well. You, you no longer have leprosy. You have been healed physically. The leprosy is gone. 
So in these first two words, we are, are, are socially cleansed and purified. We are physically cleansed and purified. But notice in this last verse, in verse 19, my scripture says, you've been made well. That's the word that we use oftentimes translated as salvation. You have been saved. Your faith has saved you. Not only are you socially and physically healed, but now you are spiritually healed and cleansed. Church, all ten of these men were physically healed. All ten of these men were socially healed and restored. But only one was made well and healed spiritually. Only one experienced the healing that leads to salvation. Yes, we must always and continue to pray and seek healing when disease attacks us and attacks our bodies. And yes, we must always seek and pray for healing when we become outcast and broken relationally and socially. But our journeys and stories of healing are incomplete if they do not touch us spiritually. You may or may not experience the physical, mental, relational healing that you desire, but each of us can experience the spiritual healing that in Christ Jesus God desires for each of us. David, David, excuse me, David Garland, professor at Truett Seminary, who has, has preached here before, wrote this. He said, while many receive healing in their lives, only a few encounter God in their healing. Church, this story is a story for us not to be one of the nine, but rather to be like Naaman, to be like this Samaritan leopard, to find God and to find salvation in our healing. So the question for us today is, have you encountered God in your story of healing? And how do we know if we're experiencing encountering God in our journey, in our passage of healing? I think one word comes to mind. It's the word gratitude. It's the word thanksgiving. For you see, I've come to believe that saving faith and thanksgiving are indivisible. Healing and saving are gifts of grace. None of us has a right to healing or salvation and none of us are entitled. In an age of entitlement, none of us are entitled to healing and to salvation. No one is guaranteed and none of us deserves to be saved. Thus, healing and salvation should both be reserved, received with gratitude, thanksgiving, and humility. Part of my journey has been, and I don't know if this is right or not, has almost been a survivor's guilt. Why did I get the kind of cancer that you can treat and heal? Because we know many people who've gotten cancer and, and it, it, it hasn't been able to be healed. And it's brought their death earlier than any of us would imagine. And some of us today are, are struggling and fighting with that same kind of, of cancer that, that, that threatens our very life. 
How do, how do we deal with the possibility that, oh God, I got cancer, but I'm, I'm going to survive this. Gratitude and thanksgiving is the only way that I can, can think about it because I don't deserve it. All I can do is receive it and thank God and praise God that there's deeper levels of thanksgiving going on in my life than just the outward physical manifestation of that. Naaman and the Samaritan leper offer us a striking and unexpected contrast to the supposed people of God, the king of Israel and the nine Jewish men in possessing saving faith that manifested itself when healing came. And their response was a response of gratitude. Albert Schweitzer put it this way. Healing can lead away from salvation. Do you catch that? Healing can lead us away from salvation when we only want something from God. And when we do not want God in this something. Saving faith wants to know and experience God above all. So our stories of healing must be first and foremost stories of faith and how we experience God in the midst of our illness, in the midst of our struggling, our sufferings, and our brokenness. Listen, church, God is not the means to healing. An end. God is the end. God is the end of everything that we pursue and experience and do. God is not simply the means to get to a, a different kind of end like healing. And when we encounter God in the midst of struggle, we become more aware of the many ways that He is bringing comfort and healing through His graces, through His mercies, His kindnesses, His comfort, and His healing. You see, the result of this journey must always be gratitude and thanksgiving. So how are you today? Do you feel like you have leprosy? That, that word leprosy is this overarching word. It means to be struck down. Do you feel like you have leprosy? Do you feel like you've been struck down? You're being struck down? Do you feel like you're a modern day leper? Do you feel like everywhere you go, you're supposed to, to cry out, unclean, I'm unclean, everybody watch out, here I come. So what would you do to be healed? What would you do to be made clean? What would you do today to be healed and saved? Even as you long for physical and relational healing today, have you come to that place in your life where you realize that ultimately what you need is to be made well from within? You need to be forgiven. You need to be cleansed and healed of your sin. You need a saving faith. A faith that is ultimately expressed and manifest through our acts of gratitude and thanksgiving. So listen to the words of the Lord today. The same words that were spoken to Naaman, to this Samaritan. Stand up. Go in peace. For your faith has saved you. Ephesians 2.9 says, By grace you have been saved. You have been made well through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. If you've experienced the power of healing and of salvation in your life, 
then as you tell your stories of healing, let them begin with gratitude and thanksgiving. So today, we continue to seek the Lord. We continue to pray to the Lord that He would bring healing physically, that He would bring healing emotionally, relationally in our lives, spiritually, that our faith might save us, be the conduit through which God's salvation comes. But also, we must take time to give thanks and to praise God for His work in our lives. Let's pray.